Well, good morning. Welcome. Glad to see you all this morning. Uh, I didn't know how your week went. Uh, beginning of my week wasn't too good, kind of a roller coaster. And then my wife left on Thursday, and my wife, end of my week was good. Now, it wasn't because my wife left on Thursday. <laughs> she was the mission trip. But uh, I just want to do a plug for our, our encouragement partners. I met with my encouragement partner and prayed and on Wednesday night, and the rest of my week went better. So um, hope you have somebody in your life like that. Uh, we're in a series, and if you're new, we teach on a certain topic uh, several weeks in a row. And our topic now is uh, grace, too good to be, or grace is true. And uh, today, specifically, we're talking about reborn by grace. I want to start out with a pop quiz. Everybody like pop quizzes? I didn't, never liked pop quizzes in school. You won't be graded on this one. But anyway, uh, what, what do these things have in common? The Philistines... Uh, the Sheriff of Nottingham, uh, the Nazis, uh, the Klingons, and we could just add to the list. What do they all have in common? Bad guys, Bad guys right, good. You guys are sharp. Uh, they're the foes. They're the uh, antagonists in, in the stories. And a good story needs to have antagonists, right? Well, in the first century, we're going to be looking at Jesus this morning. In the first century, Jesus' antagonists were these group of people called the <clears throat> Pharisees. Uh, just like uh, the Philistines were the battling the ancient Israelites and, of course, Robin Hood and Sheriff of Nottingham, if you're a Star Trek guy, uh, the Klingons, etc. Uh, the Pharisees wanted to silence Jesus. They, Jesus just got under their skin and, and uh, affected them. It, it uh, challenged their authority. And uh, so they just butted heads a lot. And... Uh, the term Philistine refers, I mean Philistines, Pharisees refers to this group of uh, uh, religious leaders, uh, Jewish sect, that were very strict and regimented and committed to, 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 to these laws. And they had laws on top of laws, laws to fix laws. And when you broke a law, you had other laws to follow. And it was, uh, they, were, they were really committed. They, they were sold out. They were actually full-time religious people. Uh, people actually had to uh, give, you know, they collected money for them so they could be religious all the time. So that was a group that was in the antagonist for Jesus. And they were considered good people. They were probably considered the best people in their society, the most religious people. And we're going to look at one by the name of Nicodemus today in the, the narrative we're going to study. And uh, <clears throat> the funny thing was, the Pharisees considered themselves good people. In fact, they considered themselves good enough. And we'll put that on the screen. It's a really funny phrase because we, we see this with people you may dialogue with. You may feel this way yourself. We see it in all other kind of religions. People have this idea that they're good enough if they believe in eternity to get to spend eternity in heaven or wherever eternity is for, for their faith or religion. The problem is it's hard to define good enough, isn't it? Even for us, we would say, well, I'm better than, you know, somebody in prison. But if you compare yourself to, like, Mother Teresa, most of us aren't going to look too good, are we? But we think we're good enough. Good enough to please God, good enough to spend eternity in heaven, certainly not in hell, because I'm good enough. Well, the Pharisees believed that. Um, and so, consequently, Nicodemus did. And then one day he comes across 
uh, a new rabbi, a new teacher, someone who is uh, uh, teaching like nobody else has taught before with such authority. And not only was he teaching with authority, he was doing miracles and healing people. And uh, some problems, though, was he, he claimed to be uh, from God. He claimed to speak for God. He might even claim to be God. And so to the Pharisees, this was heresy. So we're going to pick up the story in John chapter 3. For some of you, this is a familiar story. For others of you, it will not be. It's, it's a very fascinating narrative that John records for us. A man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. Now, not only was he a Pharisee, he was a member of the Sanhedrin. And this was a group of 70 men that were responsible for kind of governing the country. They were kind of a combination of the Supreme Court and Congress for us. Now, they were given authority by the Romans because the Romans were in control. And uh, they were allowed to practice their religion, uh, Judaism, uh, you know, worship one God, as long as they kept the peace. And they got paid well for doing this. And so um, they were very protective of their position. So when somebody would come along as a possible new rabbi, possibly a messiah, they would be very nervous because it would threaten their authority. And of course, for a thousand years, if you were Jewish, you were born with this hope that you would get to see the messiah while you were still alive. This savior, this person who was going to deliver Israel and bring it back to its power of the days of David and Solomon and certainly cast out the Romans. So, Nicodemus is part of this, this uh, religious group. And we'll pick up the story in, again in verse 2. And it says there, <clears throat> after dark one evening. And we don't know why after dark. We don't want to read too much into this. But it was probably Jesus was a controversial figure. And he was part of this ruling group. And so, it probably would have been uncomfortable for people to find out that he was visiting him. So, possibly one at night to keep it secret. He dressed him as rabbi, which means teacher, a, a, a title of respect. And so we assume he came with the idea of respecting Jesus. And he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. I think that's all inclusive, but I don't think everybody did. But, you know, it's in general agreement that, that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. So there's something special about you. God is hand on you he's blessed you and your ministry and so uh, that's why I've come to see you now Nicodemus's agenda was basically to find out is this guy the Messiah or not is he real um, or is he a real teacher but if, if he's real because some of the things he's saying is it seems like heresy so he's trying to checking him out Jesus had a completely different agenda. Has that ever happened to you in your life when you're dealing with God? You have your agenda and God's got some completely different agenda. Um, in fact, on your outline I put this. The Messiah had something bigger in mind than just letting him know, I'm, yes, I'm truly the Messiah. He came to liberate, and this was significant, to the whole world, which would be contrary to Nicodemus's theology. So Nicodemus comes to basically find out, are you the Messiah or not? Tell me. Well, Jesus' reply is completely off the wall, completely different. Doesn't answer his question. He does later, but he doesn't hear. 
I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you can't see the kingdom of God. You can't be part of the kingdom of God. You can't be, uh, 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 we would say, a Jesus follower. Now, to Nicodemus, this was weird. This was strange. And his response was kind of like, huh? What are you talking about? This term doesn't show up in the Old Testament. Uh, this is not part of his theology. What is this born again thing? I'm part of the kingdom of God. I'm a Jew. I was born a part of the kingdom. Not only was I born part of the kingdom, I'm a good Jew. I'm a practicing Jew. I'm a Pharisee. I practice it 24-7. There's no, I, I, I'm good. I'm certainly good enough to be part of the kingdom of God. What is this born again thing? I put on your outline. Uh, born again, this, this, this was new. It wasn't what Nicodemus came to talk about. He said, I, I'm good with God. I, I don't need you to tell me about how to connect with God. I, God and I are good. I want to just know if you're for real. Uh, what he was to find out was he was not good enough. Was he? Just like none of us are good enough. And he was kind of stuck now in this kind of contradictory theology. Something he's practiced all his life. And this new thing, this Jesus, this new rabbi was, was teaching so he asked, like you and I would ask in this situation, what do you mean? <laughs> what does this mean? How, how can I do this? How can an old man, and he was probably a, not a young man, he wouldn't be part of the Sanhedrin if he was young, go back into his mother's room and be born again. Now, I think if Nicodemus would have stopped and thought for a minute, he would have understood that this wasn't what Jesus was talking about. But this, maybe this was off the cuff. What are you talking about? Just born again. I can't born back in my mother's womb. Uh, so that was the question. And Jesus, treating him with respect, in this case, answers his question. He says, I assure you no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. Now, I don't want to make too much of this. Some commentators say, well, it's about baptism and all this. Basically, I think it means you're born physically and you have to be born spiritually. All right? Physically, in a body and then spiritually and he explains more he says humans can reproduce only human life so I've got four kids my wife and I reproduced four times we can't produce spiritual life in our kids or anybody just like you can't but the Holy Spirit can the Holy Spirit can give birth to spiritual life so we're all born physically from parents but spiritually we get, have to be born Differently by, by the Holy Spirit. So just being born a Jew doesn't get you in with God. But this is blasphemy to, to, to a Pharisee, to a good Jew. So he tries to explain some more. He gives an illustration. He says, so don't be surprised. Of course, he is surprised. <laughs> he said, don't be surprised. You must be, that I say you must be born again. And he gives this illustration. The wind blows wherever it wants. Just as you can hear the wind but can't see where it comes from or where it's going, so you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. So he says, hey, nobody sees the wind. We see the effects of the wind. Nobody controls the wind. It goes wherever it wants. Well, the Spirit of God is kind of like that. We can't see it. We can see its effects, and it goes and does whatever it wants. So again, Nicodemus is confused. He, he's befuddled. and he, he, So how can these things be possible. This is not my theology. This is not the way I think about God and spiritual things. How can these things be possible? 
Now, we might be thinking that he's still confused at this point, and I think he is somewhat, but I think he's starting to see, and I put on your outline this, this is kind of possibly what's going on in Nicodemus' mind. Now beginning to see. And how could I have missed this all along? Have you ever come across something later in life and thought, wow, how did I miss this all along? Well, that's kind of, I think, his idea here. Well, I, I know God. I know the Old Testament. The Spirit of God's in the Old Testament. This born-again thing isn't, but there has to be a spiritual connection with God. <clears throat> so Jesus goes on. But if you don't believe me when I tell you about earthly things, how can you possibly believe if I tell you about earth, heavenly things? No one has ever gone to heaven and returned, all right? But the Son of Man, meaning me, Jesus, has come down from heaven. Now, this is the answer to his question. Yes, I am the one sent from God. I've come down from heaven. But on the other hand, this is kind of blasphemy if he doesn't really believe this is the Messiah. So Jesus' answer is, yes, I'm the Messiah. If Nicodemus believed it or not, we're not quite sure, but I give him credit for hanging in there, right? Because most Pharisees, most good Jews would have done what at this point? <laughs> Walked out. He, he, this is, I, that's enough. I've heard enough. I'm out of here. Now Jesus does something really fascinating at this point, and Paul talks about this too, and we've talked about it before. It's really important to find common ground with someone whether they're a Jesus follower or not. Paul's talking about when we're dealing with people that aren't Jesus followers. Find common ground. So this is a good Jew. He knew the Old Testament backwards and forwards. So Jesus said, hey, well, what, I'll give you an illustration. You, you'll know this story. It's in the Old Testament. It's back, at, back at talking about Moses, all right? So as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, and Nicodemus would have said, yeah, I know that story. So the Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. So, Moses led the Israelites out of Egypt. They wandered around for about a year. They get to the promised land. They send 12 spies in. The spies come back, 10 and say, no, we can't, we can't go in. It's too big. The guys are giants and we're just like grasshoppers and they'll step on us and squash us. Two of the guys, Joshua and Caleb, said, yeah, we can take them. So what do they do? They listen to the majority, which sometimes is not right, correct? In this case, was it? And so for 40 years, they wandered around. And a whole generation died off. But during that 40 years, they had this incident where they came across these poisonous snakes and people were getting bit and dying. And so God says, Moses, put this bronze snake up on this pole and people look at it, they'll be healed and they won't die. And it's kind of a symbol of looking to God for provision and protection and for healing. So Jesus is using this as an illustration uh, for Nicodemus. But then he says, so that everyone who believes will have eternal life. But then the thing here about the lifted up thing, if you were living in the first century in, in, in Jesus' day and in Jesus' time, you knew the only time a body was lifted up on a pole was what? Crucifixion. So this is fascinating because early on Jesus is telling this guy, hey, I'm going to be crucified. Uh, yes, I'm the Messiah and I'm going to be crucified. So that's why I put on your outline this statement. There was nothing in his theology that allowed for an executed Messiah. 
The Messiah was going to come along and, and, and deliver the Israelites from the Romans and set up a kingdom and they were going to be powerful like the time of David and Solomon and, uh, you know, be a great spiritual time. So he, 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 he couldn't understand this. The other thing that really threw him was everyone because he believed the Jews were God's holy people. I mean, you could become a Jew, but, you know, it was, you had to do all this stuff and if you're a guy, you had to be be circumcised. You could become a Jew, but basically Jews were in and Gentiles were out. And most of us here are Gentiles, non-Jewish people. So what threw him off was this everybody or everyone. So Jesus equated belief or trust with eternal life. Not being born a Jew, not following or becoming a Jew, not following the law, which is what he committed his whole life to, Jesus said, no, 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 no. It's about belief or trust. But, but it's not about keeping the law. Moses got the law. And then we added the rest of the law in the Old Testament from Moses. And then we've added laws to that. This is what I've been banking on. This is, this is strange. This is too easy, too simple. Yet in some ways it had to be liberating because everybody tries to live by the law eventually becomes what? You become frustrated because you can't keep them all, can you? So it's very frustrating. You go to the temple and make your animal sacrifices then you go through the cycle again. So even though it seemed odd, it seemed simple, too easy, too good to be true, there's something, it was truth. Jesus said this is the truth. So it would be liberating. Think, wow. I can really connect to God. Because it's not about keeping the rules. So Jesus, this is, we'll come back to this, this story in a minute, but Jesus goes on and does his ministry and it becomes more and more popular and becomes more and more a problem to the Pharisees. So if you read in chapter 7, John gives this instance where the Sanhedrin gets together and they're discussing Jesus and they're trying to decide how to get rid of him, basically, to silence him. And uh, Nicodemus shows up and says, hey, and he's talking to the other 70 or 69, and says, uh, do we um, pronounce judgment on somebody in, until we've, they've def- spoken to us or talked to us or defended themselves? And they, they, they kind of get on Nicodemus' case where, hey, well, are you one of his followers? And Nicodemus kind of backs off, and, and that's the end of that part of the story. But Nicodemus takes up for Jesus. I don't think he's really a Jesus follower yet, but he takes up for Jesus. And so we can see the turmoil that evidently was going on in Nicodemus' life between this encounter and uh, we're going to see at the crucifixion. But I think something happened that made this clicked for Nicodemus because again, he was an expert in the Old Testament. And so when Jesus got arrested and tried and crucified, I think something clicked. When all the other disciples left Jesus, they figured, "Ah, this Messiah, again, there's no theology for a crucified Messiah, executed Messiah, so disciples all stopped following. There was no Messiah to follow anymore, except for, as we're going to see, Nicodemus. So he would recall Isaiah chapter 53, and we're not going to take time to go over it here. Just one verse. But if you're familiar with the Bible, you know this is a suffering servant passage. But in verse 5 it says, But he, 
meaning the Messiah, was pierced for our rebellion, ours, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be made whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. And the next verse says, we all are like sheep and gone astray. We've all sinned and turned on our own way. So the Messiah, part of what the Messiah was going to come to do was to die for us. Something clicked. Forgiveness and eternal life are not obtained through the law. Huh. Not through the law. Forgiveness requires a payment. Jesus made the payment. He paid the full price. Debt paid in full. No, nothing else required. You just have to believe. So, Jesus is crucified. And we're going to pick up the story in John chapter 19. This is fascinating. Afterwards, Joseph of Arimathea, who had been a secret disciple of Jesus, kind of like Nicodemus, evidently, he feared the Jewish leaders, asked Pilate for permission to take down Jesus' body. Pilate gave him permission. Joseph came, took the body away. But guess who helped him? Nicodemus, the man who came to Jesus tonight, brought with him 75 pounds of perfume ointment made from myrrh and aloes. Followed Jesus, following Jewish burial custom, they wrapped Jesus' body with the spices and long sheet of linen cloth. Now, what you probably don't know is it was illegal to bury a crucified body. Couldn't do it without special permission. What they did with the bodies would take them to the trash heap and just let them rot. Now, this is really significant to us 2,000 years later because Jesus didn't get carried off and left on the trash heap because if he showed up three days later, what would people think? He was just kind of, you know, half dead, and he was revived. Now, again, it was, you had to get permission, and often it required a bribe so we don't know, but Joseph may have had to pay a bribe to get Jesus' body. But they buried Jesus in a Jewish custom, which was these, these uh, perfumes, and wrapped him from head to toe in linen cloth. So if he hasn't been dead, he would have smothered to death because of the de- burial ris- ritual, right? Which is really important for us because we believe in the, three days later in the resurrection. So this is it. Faith in, in, and love for Jesus led him, Nicodemus, to do something his closest followers lacked the courage to do. They all left. But Nicodemus steps up. Now, it's hard for any of us to admit we're wrong, isn't it? Can you imagine how hard it was for Nicodemus to admit he was wrong theology, had the wrong theology, and has committed his life to it? But he came to the realization that the law wasn't enough and he couldn't be good enough. He needed grace. He needed grace. So we're going to finish up with our story because it, back in John, we ended in verse 15. Everybody knows, or almost everybody knows what 3.16 is, right? So, John 3.16. For this is how God loved the world. Oh, God, you love the world? How are you going to love the world? He gave his one and only son. Oh, that's pretty big, right? So that everyone, there's that word again, who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Now, verse 17, 
not everybody's so familiar with. God sent his son into the world not to judge or condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Remember at the beginning of the series, I asked you what was your first thought of God? And the, the number one response of people is condemnation. They think of God, they think of condemnation. Well, God makes, wants to set the record straight. He says, I, I didn't send my son to condemn the world. I sent him to save the world. So anybody, everybody who believes can have a relationship with me. So eternal life isn't a reward for good people. Because there basically aren't good people. <laughs> it's God's gift to forgiven people. And Jesus on the cross, one of the things he said, it is finished. What was finished? The price was paid. So you and I can't earn salvation. We can't work our way into heaven and we can't work our way into God's good graces after we become a Jesus follower. So that's why I give you the homework. Here's the homework. Are you good enough? I want you to ask yourself that. Are you good enough to get into a relationship with God? No, you're not. But God wants to offer it to you. So if you're not a Jesus follower, it's a gift for you. You have to receive it. Or obviously you can reject it. But most of us are Jesus followers, and if you're not, we're glad, really glad that you're here. But most of us are Jesus followers. We try and do this good enough thing afterwards, don't we? Well, yeah, I read my Bible most, of the time, most days this week, and I prayed every day, and I put some money in the offering plate, came to church, come to church most of the time, tried to be a good person, help somebody along the road or something. Yeah, so God, you know, God's kind of happy with me, right? No, 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 no. It's not about what you and I do. Now, we should do those things. They're good things. But there is no condemnation, so there is no having to gain God's favor, right? So I want you to kind of wrestle with that a little bit this week. Are you good enough? So we talked about a bad guy last week and a really good guy this week. We're going to talk about a not-so-good lady next week, all right? Hopefully you can join us. Let's pray and have a song and let you go. Father God, thank you. We thank you for this beautiful uh, narrative between uh, dialogue between Jesus and Nicodemus and, and uh, how it transformed Nicodemus' life, possibly through time, where he was able to stand up for you at the crucifixion when your closest followers couldn't. And God, we pray that we would be so faithful and courageous. And for anybody that's not a Jesus follower, that you would understand that it's a gift, it's God's grace, that you could just receive it. And for those of us who have been doing this Jesus thing for a while, help us to understand that the good things we do aren't to gain your favor, God. We already have it because of Jesus. In your name we pray, amen.